Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? Welcome to the show. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, the podcast. How's it going? Hope everything's well. Happy Monday to you. If you're listening to this on the day it is discharged, dispatched, posted, put up. If it's entering your head on this Monday morning, I hope it's going okay. It might not, but you know, we're, we're, we're built to deal with it. I hope in your life that the possibilities for disappointment are relatively uh, manageable. And that if you're living in a sort of ongoing hum of mild disappointment, maybe you should figure out what's the fuel of that energy. What's what's fueling that engine? That's what I'm because I was I was watching uh, last night. I was sitting in a living room with about 35 people watching Jeff Tweedy play acoustic guitar. And I was thinking about forgiveness in general maybe i'll get back around to that today on the show bonnie mcfarlane joins us that's right the bonnie mcfarlane rich boss's wife comedian bonnie mcfarlane i say that to you because um you can listen to me talk to rich boss all right that was episode 616 and you can get that on Hal premium at hal.fm he's a great guy Despite how much Bonnie and I bust his balls, he can take it. There's a mutual ball busting. I didn't start it. Uh, Bonnie's got a new book out. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Let me get back to why I saw Jeff Tweedy in a living room. Anyone interested in that? Anybody? Anybody interested in that? I'm not bragging. This isn't a humble brag. I was invited to a party at uh, my friend Jeff Ulrich's house. Jeff Ulrich is uh, one of the great uh, innovators and creators in the world of podcasting, he and uh, Scott Ackerman um, created the Earwolf Network, uh, and then under Jeff we get uh, we get Midroll, we get Howl.fm. He uh, created all that stuff. He's a very important guy in the podcast world, and um, he has since sold uh, his 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 interests in in all of those ventures, and is now heading off heading off into the wilderness to do something other. Some other exciting thing that does good in the world. He's, I believe he's from Chicago and he, he, he was part of his, he, he was at a Chicago charity event. And one of the things offered is a private um, living room concert with Jeff Tweedy. And he got it. I guess it was the first time they'd ever done one out of Chicago. So Jeff Tweedy came to Los Angeles. We had uh, nice uh, vegan food. It was a non-alcoholic event. 
it was a small, he could only invite like 30 or 35 people. And the deal was Jeff Tweedy comes and he plays 30 songs on his acoustic guitar. And, and you have dinner and you sit in the living room and watch Jeff Tweedy play. It was unbelievable. How, how does that happen? And it goes to a good cause. Now, look, I'm not, it's not that I'm not a fan of Wilco. I love Wilco, but I'm old enough to have loved Uncle Tupelo. Because I was there's a guy, the guy who works for me sometimes, uh, Frank Capello was there. And he's like, you Wilco fan? I'm like, I was a big Uncle Tupelo fan. He was like, who? And I'm like, really? I was one of the people that after Uncle Tupelo, Uncle Tupelo broke up. I was like, now we got to pick sides. Now we got it. Like, it's either Sunvolt or Wilco. So I went with Sunvolt for a couple records. And I came back around for a few Wilco records. But I haven't listened all the way through. But nonetheless, Anodyne and uh, No Depression and all the Uncle Tupelo stuff was pretty important to me. But so there we were in this living room and, and there's Jeff Tweedy. And he played 30 Wilco songs. And, you know, some of the ones that really affected me were songs I'd never heard before. Hate It Here, he played acoustic. A lot of the songs that he played acoustic, you, you'd never heard acoustic. And he was very self-effacing and very funny. And it was in a, an amazing night. That's all I have to say is that uh, it, there was a moment there where I was watching him. We can't be that much. Uh, there can't be that big of an age difference between us. And it was like, this is guy's a professional and he's playing all these songs acoustic and he's a beautiful guitar player and he knows how to do this stuff. You know, there was a couple of songs that he hadn't played in a long time, so he had to find his way through them. But uh, it's just amazing watching someone of my generation who has been at it for as long as I have, working whatever it is they do, and now we're sort of middle-aged guys that know how to do what we do and do it well. And I was like, there was that um, the, 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 the part of me that's like, this is beautiful, this is an amazing song. And uh, wow, this, this is really an amazing event. And there was another part of me sort of like, he's a pro. We, we've paid our dues. And uh, it's great to be in the hands of a professional. Some gravitas there. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm moving into my office which is, you know, don't, don't go crazy. It's not like it's in a high-rise or something. It's in a two-story building here in Highland Park uh, just so I have a place to work. So my, uh, my living room and my, uh, and my dining room doesn't look like a, a clearinghouse for books and records and, and random pieces of paper. I just want another space so when I get done shooting my show and I want to start thinking about what I'm going to do next, I can sit in a space and think and, and work. That's my plan. It didn't work out with the, when I bought a bike for similar reasons. That bike sits just beside my garage here, just sits there. Just It's, it's now just a, a, a rusting guilt machine, just sort of like, hey, remember? Nah, yeah, I do remember. It was stupid. You're the wrong kind of bike. I didn't realize how hard the hill would be. Yeah, but we're here. I'm like, I know, I know. I even bought baskets, little baskets for the sides of the bike. I had this image of myself, you know, riding through my neighborhood, picking up, uh, you know, maybe a carton of milk and some uh, phonograph records and perhaps uh, some uh, small grocery shopping and packing them into the little pouches on the back of my bicycle and riding around and doing that, just getting healthy that way, just riding around the neighborhood, waving at people with my products in my saddlebags on the back of my little bike. And uh, I took that bike out twice and I tried to ride up my hill twice. And uh, that was the end of the fantasy of waving Mark, pouches filled, smiling as he rode his bike through Highland Park. That is a story that never happened. But I do have the evidence of the intent rusting next to the garage. 
So buzzing, yeah. So I, I'm moving in this office, and I got this old uh, receiver, and uh, I'm picking up some major interference only on the phono channel. I guess I'm reaching out to just nerds who uh, understand this stuff. Okay, picture me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I got this new space. I'm going to buy a console to uh, put records that come into me so I can process them at the office and listen to them in the office. So I've got this old turntable. I bought this old receiver and, and I got this nice new console. I'm going to set it up in my office with these, with these speakers I got. It's all hooked up. I can't wait to hear it. Oh, man, the radio sounds great. I'm going to put a record on. What's that sound? Wait, why is it? God damn it, man. Why can't I just fucking be lucky and get something that works right away? God damn it. This fucking thing's broken. Must be because I drove it home in the car and it rattled or something. Then I went and got my other receiver, another old piece of shit receiver, to see if it did the same thing in my office. All right, that radio sounds good. Put it on phono. All right, so it's not the new old receiver I bought. It's some other thing. Let's chase this fucking thing down. Maybe I can solve it. Go online. See how, hey, how do I get the buzz out of the phono channel? I don't know. Well, here's some ideas. Ferrite, no choke, clip-on, loop things. All right, let's do that. Plug it all in, man. This has got to work. All right, radio sounds good. Phono. God damn it. I've done everything I know how to do and what the internet told me. Now what? Call the landlord. Oh, yeah, the AT&T people were here for a long time, and they put the antennas right on top of where your office is. So I'm never going to be able to play records? Is there another way? Is there another way? I'm obsessed. Like, this is the most important part of my office is my ability to play records that are sent to me by you people. And so I can have that other space to do that in. How do I get that fucking buzz out of my head, out of my life, out of my mind? Took months to chase a buzz down in the goddamn tube amp that I have for the guitar. Maybe I shouldn't buy old shit. Maybe this quest for authenticity through nostalgia and aging artifacts with expectations that I can time travel through those artifacts is maybe maybe a, a fucking dream. Maybe there's a reason why things were made more efficient and better over time. I just wish they weren't, they were made to last. So now all these things that last, that have a specific feel and vibe to them are a little, they're, they're, they're tired, they're old. They've run current through them for a long time. They were expecting just to rest in the back of a sad store that will eventually close and then find a home on a goodwill shelf where no one will buy it and eventually end up relaxing in a landfill covered with meat products and other detritus. but secretly always able to pick up the buzz of the future. Will improvise poetry by me, Mark Marin. But in all honesty, if you do know how I can stop the noise that isn't some of the suggestions I've told you, ferrite rings and plugging all the other RCA holes, because it is generating, it is coming, the receiver is picking it up. It's the receiver and the RCA output holes. Help me out, nerds. Help me out. Did I mention that last week I worked with the uh, talented and amazingly professional Ron Perlman and the uh, incredibly uh, gregarious and uh, entertaining MC Ganey on my uh, on my IFC show and uh, and uh, 
Anna Conkle is back as well. She's great. Amazing actress. My man, working with Ganey. I don't know if you know Ganey. Go ahead and wiki him. Go ahead and look up MC Ganey. Usually plays a heavy or a crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, you, he was also, the funny thing is, is that I didn't realize this until you know we'd hired him to play this part, but he was the naked guy in Sideways. The naked guy. He's done quite a bit. Quite a bit. You recognize him. But it was a blast working with those two. With uh, Ron Perlman, who you know from Sons of Anarchy and Beauty and the Beast and movies, and you know him, Hellboy, uh, and Anna. It was great. Okay, so that's going well. So Bonnie McFarlane, folks, is a great comic. Uh, I've known her a long time. She's a good person. She's got a book out. Um, You're Better Than Me is available now. She also hosts the podcast, My Wife Hates Me with her husband, Rich Voss, and her documentary, Women Aren't Funny, is available on Netflix. And uh, don't get too weirded out because we bust on Rich Voss a little bit. It was all in good fun, and we know and love Rich a long time. So this is me and Bonnie McFarlane. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. Arwen. But you know how to do this. You have a podcast. I have a podcast. I have a radio show. All right. With, what, already, already with the plugs? Right out of the gate? We I bar- don't know. I'm married to Rich Voss. He would- oh, now you're now you're going back down this <laughs> way. That started off strong. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, I thought he would be dead by now, but we're still oh, really? doing it. That was yeah. the that was the bet. I said this guy doesn't have more than four and a half years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like Rich. He was in here. Yes. No, he I, talks about it a lot. He talks about. Well, this he was a lot. the best one you've ever had. I think he his was the best uh, podcast of, that I've ever done. Yes, that you've ever done. Really? I mean, it he, was a good he one. made a list of people and and put himself at the top. Oh, did he? Me, Rich Voss, <laughs> Obama. Yes. Yeah. And then... Uh, Obama okay. might have been third or fourth. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like what, what, what? porn stars are like. Uh, um, they always say how they have the best job. Who? Porn stars? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like they always say that because people were like, you're not going to go into porn, are you? People tell you, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Then they realize, oh, now I got to just keep this up for the rest of my life. Like, no, I made the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Having a hard time getting work at 50, but I'm making the right decision. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. That's how it is with me marrying Rich, you know. Mm, come on. <laughs> I, every, no one, no it's one too ever late th- to say I made a mistake. No one ever thought that you marrying Rich was anything but a nice gesture on your part. <laughs> I'm a good person. <laughs> Help that guy. <laughs> but you, I didn't watch your doc. I remember it came out, but I, I, maybe, I wa- maybe I watched part of it. Don't say that. What do you mean? <laughs> because 
Yes, that's like the worst. It is? You, yes. I could only get through about 20 minutes. No, no, that. no, no, no. I could, the truth of the matter is it's a time thing. It's not a matter of, you know, like okay. I'm, I'm a busy person. But I, I, I know that it was well received and it was a good thing. And it, it, what was it called? Women aren't funny. Yes. What was the incentive? Um, well, I've always believed that women aren't funny, oh, that's and I set out right. to prove it. Yeah. No, I had a baby, and I couldn't go on. The, you know, after two years, you have to start paying f- for a flight for your child. Right. So I had been taking her with me, and then, uh, it, you know, financially, yeah, wasn't working out. So. Right. <laughs> I, on the road, you mean? Yes, yeah. They're like a potato when they're little. You yeah. can just take them around. Yeah, yeah. Put them in my pocket. Wrap them up. Yeah. Strap them on. Did you have one of those weird bundly things? That, no, I uh, never did that. What are they called? Bjorns you know, or something. Is that what they're called? Baby they're just Bjorns. Kind of okay, so you got to pay for the kid now. So then I decided I have to do something creative while right. staying at home. And yeah. so I, you know, I pitched this movie idea to Rich because I felt like it was something people would talk about. Right. And I could be funny with. And, uh. He immediately was like, yes, how, what about, where do I go? How can I be in it? Um, With a lot more lisping. (laughs) Yes. He spit on me. No. um, And then uh, he, um, he immediately took control and started setting up interviews and he got all the, you know, all the big people that you see in the movie. That's pretty much. What did you learn? During that process, I mean, was it really a reaction to this idea that trope of men saying women can't be funny? No, because I never really bought into that. I never really thought that was true. I mean, of course, I heard mm-hmm. it from guy comics, but I thought they were just busting balls. Like, right. we're all looking for your weakness yeah. and yeah. trying to, you know. Uh, but then there was a moment in the documentary where I was like, it's like when I was talking to club owners, that's yeah. when I started being like, oh, geez. Right. It's real. Like, they really think this. It's institutional. Yeah. And can you get it on Netflix? You can get it on Netflix and you can uh, um, download it on iTunes. And how much rich is there in that movie? There's a lot of rich in that movie. (laughs) He paid for it. He paid for my big feminist uh, Did you guys make it back? Yes, yes. Great. Yeah, Because I know that's a a concern of riches at all times. Yes, yes. We're, you know, since I've been married, I've not ever been allowed to have my own soda when we're (laughs) out for dinner. But, uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he wants to bring soda into restaurants all the time. Oh, that's a that's a weird. Oh, it's I, exhausting. You know, that's, well, that's like you know, it's such you, you don't want to. That doesn't make it good for Jews when he does things <laughs> no, like but that. I know, but and then he says does I'm he, anti-Semitic because I'm constantly like, stop Jewing. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Does he bring popcorn to the movies? Um. W- yes. Oh no, he doesn't. Does he? You we may- he we. we I have my purse is like if they ever start a policy where they <laughs> open up people's purse. oh god it will be so what? embarrassing and he thinks he's beating the system right yes yeah. the first time I ever went to a movie with him he smoked in the movie theater because he still smoked back then yeah well just that what be, but he knew he'd be shut down was he trying to impress you he would just take two drags and then somebody would come in and look around and oh my not god see it. what a pain in the ass and I said I'm in love oh god <laughs> well that's you know what I've made me fall in love with him is one time when we were first out, he said we were having sushi and he said to me that he was a genius and he said uh, he was like really talking about himself as a genius. Wait, which, is this Rich Voss? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. And I never. I just want to make sure I know you. I talking never about. heard anyone talk about themselves like that before. How did he? How did he support that statement? Doesn't well, he was, sound like he was saying that when he's on the road, he's you know it's it's just 
magic and mm-hmm. no one ever gets to see it right because you, you just know? can't do it in the city in a short set yeah you no, really have to be able the to long yeah, yeah got to, in an hour you can see what a genius i am yes uh-huh and did you go on the road with him shortly thereafter and be like oh my god he is a genius well yes and and he would always want me to come watch his set but i would only go watch his set if he did crowd work because he really is a genius when he does yeah, crowd work. right yeah yeah okay so he's got hey, this is interesting i you know i i'd like to try to break you away from uh, this rich obsession. No, I don't want to talk about him anymore. No, you can talk about him. I like him. I think he's a very sweet guy. We had a good conversation. Yeah. He's like a decent guy. He's all right. Solid. And you got, you know, you. it's not like you didn't try before that. Now- What does that mean, <laughs> you asshole? <laughs> what? I dated a, I, comedians exclusively because I like comedians. No, I get Did we cover why you thought me and you were- uh, Oh, because I, you would come into the improv and- First of all, you've always been one of my favorite comedians. The original improv? Like in, a, no, on uh, Melrose. Oh, back when you lived here that time. Yeah, and and, and um, I'd watch your set and I would be like, then I'd go to talk to you about your set and I'd realize uh. like, oh, you don't, it's almost like you're another person off stage sometimes. Is that true? Well, I- Back then, maybe. I think that you know, so fame and fortune changes people and I think for you- it Made w- me better? Made you better. Well, yeah, it's validating. I mean, back then I'd go on, I'd do okay, people like you would like me, and then I'd get off and be like, well, that fucking was bad, and what, sh- what do you want? Yes, that- yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but, but that's the thinking. It's not like, I don't like her. It's like, oh, God, I no, suck. No, I know, and what? I'd always be like, oh. What? And then like you like, would say, great set, and I'm like, no, it didn't. I don't believe that. Yes, you'd argue it. Right. Yeah. But but I met you before that because I like I we had this tweet exchange kind of about um, the mistake that some journalists made that you dated me right they meant Mark Cohen I know who right. they meant yeah, yeah. and uh, and then uh, someone tweeted something about uh, a uh, teleprompter and I didn't know what the, any well, I didn't know what was going on then I read that part of the book and I you like yes that when you got to town you were funny and you were you had some swagger to you and i was sort of like impressed and the reason why i kept bothering you about the teleprompter in my memory who was your manager was it uh sussman, Jeff sussman yeah. right because i you say i called jeff in there and yes. i was like so that do you was, remember calling him probably i was yeah. i got i got mildly obsessed with you immediately but the, but the but i'm not gonna what am i gonna do what you know what i mean i was married and you were you were too pretty for me and whatever oh that's not so um you were you were up for something like uh, stand up stand up or something. You were being yes. yes right. So that you didn't leap, you didn't put that in there because I had hosted short attention span theater. So I'm like you you got to like the whole thing is figuring out how to read that fucking thing because that's going to be your job. <laughs> yes. So I was very concerned. But you're intense about it. I know because I wanted you to do well. <laughs> Like I was, yes. Like I just got obsessed because you're like. No, well, I I'm think just... when you first started talking about a teleprompter, I didn't know what a teleprompter was. Oh, so that was like, and then I didn't want to be an idiot. Well, I think I also wanted to spend time with you somehow. I don't think I, like I wanted to have sex with you, but I wanted to know you and and maybe you know fall in love with you or whatever. Oh, but I was married, so I thought like you know this teleprompter thing is going to at least get me in. It's going to yes. at least get me a conversation. Yes. Right. Yes. I, but I don't really remember calling your manager. I'm like, I need to talk to Bonnie about this stuff. It was it was urgent because yeah, he put you on speakerphone. Oh, I remember being like, <laughs> oh really? Like don't don't. Well, tell I, it's here. not. It wasn't because I didn't want to talk to you, but I do have anxiety about talking on the phone mm-hmm. 
for some weird reason. Well, we were like kids. Like that was that whole New York thing, and that was in the middle of it, and you know, and all the go. And also, I think I was completely overwhelmed. I mean, I were just you like come 22, from Canada, twenty three. No, I was probably like twenty four, twenty five, uh-huh. and um, so yeah, I but but really, I'd you know. I didn't know what was going on in life, in the world, and I. Well, that's was... what I picked up on, and I'm like, "You're gonna, you, you gotta, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta deal with this teleprompter thing." I'm not sure how I thought I was gonna teach you how to to, to read teleprompter because I didn't have a job. You would at always that time. say like, "It goes faster than you think." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I was very concerned. Yes. Did you get the job? No, I don't. I don't think I ever went in on it. I don't think I ever. I don't. But I do re- remember that the the time. When I did use a teleprompter, yeah. I was like, it, he's right. <laughs> it goes faster than you think. <laughs> and they can control yes, the speed. Yes, you told me that. You go, they'll, can, you tell them to slow down. I was really, I was really. You don't speed up for the teleprompter. Yeah. They slow down for you. <laughs> I was really, uh, that was my, I was just was like, I was going to help you. Yes. And then you, you dated Cohen for a while, right? Off and on for like five years. Yeah. That was a very sad. I, I read a little bit about like. I the, feel like I was mean to. This this thing is. About that, writing uh, a memoir. Oh. Yeah. You're going to. You got to really sort of wonder. Well, I w- was going to change his name. And then the lawyer that goes through the book with you. Yeah. was like th- people will know who he is anyway. Right. Like, there's no sense. So you have to email him and ask him if it's OK. And what do you say? And I didn't want to email him the passages because I'd already finished the book and I was tired of it. Yeah. But I didn't want to have to rewrite. So right. He said, uh, I said, can I write about you? And uh, I said, the lawyer's concerned about some of the pot smoking stuff. And he's like, it's fine. You know, yeah. don't worry. And then he, wrote, he just said, you know, in the email, he goes, say whatever you want. Just be kind. Uh-huh. And now I feel like I could have been kinder. Well, I think that what was very telling and, and the interesting thing about Marcone, who I'd like to interview. I don't I don't. Is he here? I've, I haven't. I mean, that, the email was the first time I spoke to him in forever. I, I saw him. I saw him once, and like he was such a sweet and and very funny, very you know, funny and real club like, comic guy. Yes. You know, like he was the guy in New York. It's like you know, I, I remember. You know, he had this disposition. He loved working for you know with a crowd. He was very you know he was very funny, but like there was a lot of pot. There was a lot of pot, and I you know I I believe that after over over time. Extensive pot smoking can somewhat diminish your will to get out and manifest things in your life. Well, there's a thing called a God complex that you can get from smoking too much pot. Really? I never got that unless God was terrified (laughs) (laughs) all the time. You're Jew God. (laughs) And paranoid. (laughs) Um, Where you think like you're, you know, the greatest in... People should just really come to your house and get you. Right, they want you. Did you? Is that how you described in the book? Because all I read was that like he seemed to think that show business was just going to come <laughs> yes. to his apartment. <laughs> yes, he <laughs> never wanted to leave and go out. And... Oh, that's so sad. I know, but he's yeah. Uh, what I feel like I should publicly say like he's he's a great guy. Oh I, yeah, I, well, I guess I him. was getting out some aggressions maybe from our breakups. Well, you loved him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and he did. You know, he a, a lot of people went through a Cohen period. <laughs> <laughs> some some very smart, attractive female comics went through Cohen periods. But what is it? Because there are some. Women comedians I know, you know, they stay the fuck away from comics. I don't get it. I don't get it at all because I think if I was in, I think every profession should just date their own profession because why would you want to talk about somebody else's profession for half the time? Like, can you imagine being married to a dentist and having to talk about dentistry? 
What? Oh, God. What you you're so you're saying you got a you know a dentist has to marry a dentist? Yes. That that sounds that's like my uh, new that, horrible. Yes. No, that doesn't and make sense. And that's what Bernie Sanders wants to. So. <laughs> but don't. But wasn't there an issue? Because I married a comic, and then there's an issue of sort of like who helps who and who's who's where are where are you each other in your careers? I mean, there. I mean, like with Mark, it sounds like that had to be some sort of an issue with that kind of stuff. I mean, it's difficult. Well, there's. I mean, there would be an issue no matter what. Right. You know, there'd be if you're. If you married somebody who wasn't a comic, there'd be an issue with you going on the road every weekend. Right. There's. Well, you're but well, you're with a dude now that like Rich is a, is a great comic and he's a great guy. But I I he's know a that legend. Right. I know in his mind he's like I hope she makes money. Yes. Yeah, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because well, he wants I me get... to make money, but not as much as him. Do you know okay. what I mean? He still yeah. wants to be. So I have to make just slightly less than him. But you started in Canada. How how long did you? Well, let's go back. Okay. Because you have a, a backstory like I don't think anyone I've I've spoken to primarily for one reason you're Canadian. Right. What part of Canada did you grow up in? I grew up on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan. What does that look like? Where is that? It's, I should look it up. I have, it's I'm, I on feel, the west. It's like it's in the west. Okay. It's like it goes uh, British Columbia yeah. is the right most westernmost province. That's where Victoria is. Yes. Yeah. And then there is Vancouver in British Columbia. Yes. Okay. And Victoria is on Vancouver Island. Right. It's actually, on, and then uh, it's uh, Alberta, then Saskatchewan. Oh, okay. And so yeah. Edmonton's in Alberta. Yeah. Okay. And what's in Saskatchewan? Regina. I don't know. N- nothing really. Where's Winnipeg? That's going farther east. That's not a happy place, really. Uh, no, I well, never, I've never been there. That might be- culturally very nice. Had nice, you know, nice smart people up there. But boy, that place gets beaten in yeah. the winter and shit. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the, it's a the, tough the, place to live. No, man. the the fucking city of Winnipeg looks like it's just had enough. <laughs> yeah, <It's> just, <laughs> I've never been there. It's it's insane. I think that they're one of their big tourist stops. If you can handle it, is I think that it's the windiest corner in North America. Oh. That there's like I think that's what it is. That there's a place because wasn't it all, like just built there for trading? Yeah, I think so for fur trading. Yeah. Maybe French people were involved. I don't know. But so what? So how far up north were there people where you were? Um, it was pretty much the end of the line and really? the highway. And uh, I mean, people did live far farther north. There was like uh, you know. But your neighbor was like a mile away, kind of shit. Yep. Yeah. And it was what? Wh- why? <sighs> I don't know why they, I mean, my dad, you know, his grandfather or his father gave yeah. him, left him a piece of land there uh-huh. or no, he, he had money and he went and bought that land there. Cause I guess it was cheaper. Just bought a chunk of land. So where was he living? Like, was he living in a city? He was, they were, my, my parents were both living in Saskatchewan. They were living in a tiny town. Oh, okay. Like a farming community. In so Saskatchewan. they're farmers. They're farmers from farmers from farmers from farmers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. All right. So he's like, I'm going to buy this chunk of land and farm it. Yes, so there was nothing on it, and uh, he might have been drunk when he bought it. Uh-huh. And uh, was he a drinker? Yes. Uh-huh. And um, my mom was pregnant. That's why they got married. So he's drunk, she and she's pregnant, and they yep. buy a chunk of land. She was nineteen. Yeah. Pregnant with you? No, with my oldest sister. How's she doing? She's good. Okay. They're doing great. And uh, <laughs> so um, they move. You know, they had to uh, build a house and you know take all the rocks off the lands and they did all that they did it all by hand yeah and so i grew up uh you know we didn't have running water when i was growing up so no, you had no, a shit in a shack yes i'm sorry i was no I no we we shat in a can at night if it was too late to go out to the outhouse what yeah it had a toilet seat on it the can did yes yeah, so it was like a, a bucket with a toilet yeah, seat. yeah it was like as high as a seat it was comfortable 
Well, I when you're a kid, it's like it's it. fun. No, I don't. We didn't know. We didn't have TV, so we didn't know how other people Oh, my were God. Living. So this is like wood stove, hand-built house kind of shit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we, we melted snow on the stove, like for our once-a-week baths and stuff. I still what? only take a bath once a week. No, with snow? True. Yes, with snow. <laughs> I have it imported. From how many kids were there? Norway. Um, there's four kids. Four of you in this, What was it like, like uh, I'm picturing kind of like a cabin-ish type of house that Not always really. ne- needed was, repair? Yeah, it was like a rundown. It was like a shack. It was yeah. a shack that they built. Well, their first house burnt down. What? Yes. When you were alive? I was, my mom was pregnant with me. And so then they lived in a trailer on the land, like a like a camper trailer, not a not an RV. Uh, and uh, when I was the baby, I guess it was too cold to put me down, so my mom had to carry me the whole time. What? Because it was there was no heat. There's yeah. Well, this, there was yeah. It's like pioneers. Yes, like, it's the 1800s. I know it's so crazy. And that's how you. It's not even hippie shit though. It's like he's a farmer in earnest. It wasn't yes. like we're off the grid because civilization is in <laughs> yes. trouble. <laughs> he, yes, I he, used to try to tell people like I grew up in an organic farm to try to make it seem cooler. But no, it was just like <laughs> some, really some guy that didn't know that was what he was supposed to do because. Well, my dad his, really is proud of being a farmer and he loved living off the land and it's, you know. He, did, so what were you eating as a child? Just shit you grew or did you have to go to a was, trading post or? No, everything was from the farm. Literally every single thing on the table was from the From, our from farm. the get-go? Yeah. So- we made our own butter, you know. My what? mom made our our own ketchup, which is disgusting. Your mom made ketchup. Yes, everything was. Homemade. How did you even know about ketchup? Why would she do that to you if you weren't like this? Isn't we want ketchup, and then it's sort of like I'll try to make you some. But how could you have even been? I don't informed know. About Probably my dad wanted it. He wanted ketchup. The house. So there was a lot of experimenting going on. It's like I'll try to recreate something that normal people eat. <laughs> From the supermarket? <laughs> Do you know, like, we weren't recreating from the supermarket. You know, the supermarket's recreating but there are some what items people that have been were, doing for centuries. I know. I bet you okay. ketchup was probably. But ketchup is disgusting. How much right. ketchup is awful? But I bet. But I mean, but I'm assuming that ketchup was not a farm item, that it didn't originate <laughs> right. from. Right. You probably were like. Yeah, it was a convenience item that some idiot came up with instead of something else. I don't know. I don't either. It, I'm sure we could learn it, but I'm not doing that right now because we're in this. So. <laughs> We can do. Sorry. We can look at the history of ketchup either. Yeah. But I, I will say this: Heinz is knocking it out of the park. Nobody comes close. No, it's the best. Yeah. it's the best ketchup. It really is. Well, yeah, because we grew up with it. There's like anything, any ketchup that you get, homemade or otherwise, you're going to be judging against Heinz, mm-hmm. and that's that's the staple. I mean, what was the other one? Del Monte, no good. Mm-mm. No, not Heinz? even. No, oh, Heinz. That's close. the other big one. No, it's no good. But I imagine there's some idiots in the world that are like, I'm kind of a Heinz guy. Yeah, they're fucked up. They don't know. They don't yeah, get it. They do not get it. <laughs> but wait, okay. So how? What are the ages of the, all the kids? Because I just want to picture. Were you? Did, what were you close? So there's four girls in five and a half years. So wow, and you're this. I'm the, the young, youngest. You're the youngest. Yes, but oh I also have a sister who's mentally handicapped in there. So my second oldest sister, Lynn, has Down syndrome. Uh-huh. So my mom really had her work cut full out. range. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so the second, the one above you has Down syndrome. No, or the two up, two up. So you guys dealt with that your whole life. Yes, but I didn't know she was uh, until I was probably six, seven, until I realized right. like something's up. But out of the mental handicaps, if I'm not being insensitive, that that's a uh, you know th- th- functional. 
and and you know they have a full range of emotions and fun and everything right she's amazing well right. she people you know i've had people say over the years like I love Down syndrome people because they're so like wonderful and so happy all the time. And it's, you know, my sister has a terrible temper and, uh, you know, you have to push her really hard, which we did. Um, (laughs) We told her. I mean, you're on a farm. What else are you going to do for fun? Why don't we let's push the, the, the mentally challenged sister. To the point where she loses it. Oh God, we were we were we did you know we were mean to everyone at certain points. But I remember one time we um, called her and uh, told her she got accepted into college, and uh, (laughs) that's horrible. (laughs) But my sisters and I were in the bedroom laughing so hard. (laughs) Didn't you? And my other sister. Yes, we bullied our dad's interests. Yeah, and I guess that's just but she, but she, (laughs) you know, she got even too because she. I guess my parents set this up this way: is that you know she owned the VCR, so if we wanted to rent a movie, um, she would have to give us the okay. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, so she had a little power there. Yeah. So yeah, and she and she would hold the line. Oh yeah, you had to tell her there was a dog or a kid in it. You know. <laughs> so she'd sit there waiting for a dog or a kid, and, yes. and you'd say like, "I don't know, it must be a diff- maybe I didn't remember it properly." I thought that was in the preview. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a very challenging upbringing. I'm now, and also you're like the last one, so you're wearing everyone else's clothes. That I imagine yes. your mom making clothing. My mom made clothing. Come on, yes, yes, yes. And they got in a fight about it once at school because. You were that wearing kid? a frock that some girl made fun of. So your dad did he farm? Was he a successful farmer? Well, uh, he, he you know once they got the farm up and running, then the house burned down. Then they got it, you know. They got the camper. They, they got the camper. And then they, they finally them. got a new house. Well, it was they basically uh, bought an old house and pulled it onto the farm uh-huh. uh, with a dirt basement, which we slept in. And uh, what do you mean he slept in a dirt basement? Yes, my sisters and I we slept downstairs. There was no walls. No, no, there was there was walls, but it was there was carpet over the dirt. The ground? Yes. And there was lots of mice down there. You could hear mice. All four of you were down there. Yes. In one room? Yep. This is, it's like what what and what were they doing upstairs? I know, it's How many like rooms one of those Irish uh was yeah. there, I, there's a lot of words for it, I guess. Yeah, I mean it seems primitive, it's but at, but there's a certain part of me that thinks like it's a little abusive in a way. You know, it sounds like these, you know, like you were raised in the wild. I know. It's embarrassing to talk about. But were they, is it? Well, I mean, for a long time, I I didn't talk about it because I was embarrassed. But then, you know, as I get older, I realized like nobody lived like that. Like it's such a crazy. And you wouldn't assume that you lived like that. Yeah, people. You seem together. You know how to dress (laughs) properly. Not like just wearing overalls. You're not like grunting or like, (laughs) you, you know, like. You, they obviously, Water in a bottle. Why? <laughs> What's the world come to? <laughs> but were you were you homeschooled? No, no. We went okay, to well that we probably saved my mo- my mother was a teacher. Oh, good. So so you got proper parenting. Yes. And your father, what was he farming? So he was farming cattle and and milk cows. How many acres did you have? You have a well, lot I don't fucking... remember how many acres we had. And then my father got cancer, and we lost that farm. Did you lose the father? No, but we all say goodbye to him. They send him home to die, and we all—that's what they do in Canada. That's the health coverage we it. all hear about. Yes. <laughs> got, this was, you know, many, many. You got many cancer. Years ago. Good luck with it. <laughs> this was like forty. You've years got ago. your diagnosis. <laughs> 
So, uh, uh, but he lived. What kind of cancer? He had stomach cancer. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. And he just kicked it? Well, the the story goes, and I don't know, this is in the book, I don't know how true this is, but uh, supposedly his mother mm-hmm. came and told him that he couldn't die because he had, you know, a farm and kids to look after, and he better get his ass out of bed and get better. And he start, He got up that day and took a walk. And that, and then that's the that's, and then he just was better. Then no, he, you know, is he still around? I do remember us always, like every day, ha- taking him for his walk. Like, is he still around? Oh yeah, yeah. So he did kick stomach he cancer, stomach cancer without medication, just because his mom. Well, he he he, he no, he did chemo. Oh, okay, and he did, he had a lot of operations. He was in the hospital for a, about a year. Oh Jesus! And, How old were you? Uh, so I was six. That's horrible. Yeah, and then so when he came back, um, we had a smaller farm. Uh huh. And then we mostly, you know, we had sort of our own farm animals like chickens and cows and stuff. But um, the main thing was a market garden. So we had like 10 acres of garden. That you sold vegetables? And that's how you made a living? Yes. That is hard. That is some serious manual labor. So you had to like, you know, you had pigs you killed and chickens you killed. Yes. And cows you killed. Yes. And probably sheep. No sheep. No goats. I don't think we ever had goats. But you had to like do the whole thing where it's like, oh, we know that pig. And then, you know, you just watch the pig get older and then eventually you you kill it. Um. Well, you don't name the animals that are for eating. Right. <laughs> you don't become That's friends. That's a rule? That's a rule. And you were taught that? You know, that? when you're a farm you kid, that? you learn like the cycle of life pretty right. early on. I had to kill the chickens. I mm-hmm. mean, that was my job was like cutting the heads off the chickens. Yeah, I've seen that happen once. And uh It's not it's not good. Yeah, I think it's like uh, maybe affected me in life. You do? That might be why I'm a comedian. <laughs> Cuz you had to like <clears throat> whack I those had to take chickens. life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in from what age were you About I was like 9, 10, 11. And that's where you just you grab a chicken, it's freaking out, you put its head on a piece of wood and you take a, a large uh um, butcher oh, an axe. Yeah, and, a just, hand and you and you have to hope you hit it right, or else it's going to run around with its head off and dangling from a tent. Well, it will run no matter what. It's right. gonna. And then my other, my sister Lynn, uh, she would then go find all the chickens and bring them back. The headless chickens. Yeah, because they'd bolted. run to be, you know, be like, "There's one under the car." Oh really? <laughs> oh no! But there's something uh, you know very um, reasonable about this life. Yeah, it's, you know, it's... It's it's a way... Well, you eat chicken. I mean, I assume mm-hmm. you're, you know, some mm-hmm. people do. They think it's, like, horrifying, but it's just because you're up and, you know, this is how it actually works. This yeah, is but how no, you're but, getting your but food. But there's an intimacy and there's a, a, a practicality to eating what you raise. Right. As opposed to, you know, this faceless, horrible, you know... Uh, airport hangar sized thing right. filled with cages of yes. you know of fat chickens that can't move that I run know. down a conveyor yeah. of uh of uh, immigrant labor just hacking heads off yes it's different i mean i'm a vegetarian now yeah how long um off and on for you know since i was like probably 20 uh, so that but, was one of your big rebellions as you departed the farm you're like yeah, fuck this I couldn't find a black guy in Canada <laughs> so I had to go vegetarian <laughs> <laughs> then I discovered the Jews <laughs> <laughs> have you done that joke before no it's, I would um, write that down you want to make note of that yeah no it's fine uh, uh, no I never do anything funny in my act oh I know <laughs> that's like <laughs> I just <laughs> so alright so you're living like this mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, emotionally abusing your mentally challenged sister and cutting the heads off a yes. chicken. <laughs> yes. <Great>. And <laughs> and and at what point? Uh, how's she doing, by the way? She's great. You know, she's uh, she lives on her own. Uh huh. Oh, that's um, good. So she has, but she has workers that come and uh huh. Check on her. And, and she's is she up? Uh, are your folks still on the? Everybody farm? still lives in Canada. My uh, parents live on a farm nearby, but they're gonna move. Um, my sister actually lives on the the second farm that we we had. So you have all this property. Yes. Are any of them still farming? No, my mom still has a big garden. Right, but no. But did your dad? He got by on the farming. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They did all right yeah. in the end. Did the food taste better though? In your recollection, comparatively speaking, eggs, chicken, beef. What not? You... Well, I, you know, I used to complain about it all the time because, you know, my mom would make homemade bread and we'd take sandwiches to school and the homemade bread would crumble. So I'd always have like, you know. The mess. Yes. Yeah. You're sitting with your friends and it's you like, just have this. Can we please have <laughs> yeah. bought bread? <laughs> just so you won't be mocked for your yes. frock and your crumbly bread. <laughs> and my sister went to, um, had a sleepover once and they had TV dinners. Mm-hmm. And she would always, we'd always be like, what was it like? <laughs> what were the TV dinners like? But, Tell us about the TV dinners So your again. mom would like make stews and shit, stuff that would last a week that you sort, of, you'd sort of have to eat out of the same pot for a week kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, you know, we'd have to like make butter and you'd put- uh, But you didn't have a churn. You'd no, do, we'd have cream in a jar and sure. you put, put a spoon in the jar and then you just shake it while you're doing your homework or whatever. And just, just, oh, right, right. Because you, like if you whip- cream enough it just butters yes and then you just salt it a little bit right and then you know i don't know it's just so stupid <laughs> it's not stupid it's completely unique what i don't understand is like how do you get from there to here like what 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 moment were you like i got it you know i'm i'm living like uh like an off the grid person Did well you, i the, hated it you know i mean i was like i fancied myself as i wanted to be a writer but where did you learn that? Were you at school and there were other kids that seemed to be living a life that seemed less harrowing? <laughs> well, I guess when I started babysitting and then uh, they had TV. So what did you do at night? And your dad was a boozy? He was boozy? No, not after- um, The cancer? Yeah, not after the cancer. Even, you know, they were too broke. He, he says he, he stopped drinking because they were too broke to buy alcohol. That usually doesn't stop committed drinkers. Yeah. Why wasn't he making his own alcohol? Um, You know, they did, I think. And they did? Yeah. I think that was a part of it. Um, then <laughs> who, he got cancer. He still drinks once in a while, sure. you know, but he, you know, who, it's hard who, on his system. Who milked the cows? So I milked a cow. I had my own cow. Uh -huh. We all had our own cow. Uh -huh. Well, we, my dad gave us all a cow for our 10th birthdays. Uh -huh. And then, um, <laughs> I don't know why. What was your cow's name? That Bessie. It's no. so cliche, yes. But my fourth grade teacher's name was Bessie, so I named the cow. Oh, after. Her, so like I thought it was so funny. Right. Um, oh yeah, God. so I milked a cow every yeah. morning and every night. Oh, my God. And I sold the milk, my cow's milk at the farmer's market. And I, then I started an ice cream business. What? And I sold ice cream. What, we made the ice cream at home? Yeah. And I, I made crazy, you know, raspberry, swirl, rum and raisin. This was like 10, 11, 12, 13 maybe, yeah. You figured out how to make ice cream from your mom? Yes. And was I, it like one of those wooden basket ice cream makers? Like the wooden, like kind of, like was it wood on the outside and you put ice in yes, it and then you yep. put the thing in the middle? Yes. You were like almost Amish. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My homemade clothes and churning the ice cream. And were all four daughters at the farmer's market? Well, my sisters didn't, they just took the money for the cow. Uh -huh. So my dad would just give them whatever mm -hmm. you know, the blue book value of the cow was, right. I guess, you know, 60 bucks or something. Uh -huh. 
but I actually took the cow. I got a pregnant cow because I picked the fattest one. And mm-hmm. so then I had, you know, I, I had a little business going for a while. And uh-huh. then, uh, um, what was your brand? Was it Bonnie's ice cream? No, or just, just ice cream. Yeah. And then my sister Lynn would help me and I wouldn't give her any money. I would just buy her French fries. Uh huh. And that was it. She was, she was fine with it. And, but, but this was a farmer's market where, was it like where city folk would come? Well, there was an of, Air Force base pretty close by. Yeah. So they would come, uh-huh. the, the base to, people. So they were to, city folk. To, to buy ice cream from the strange they loved it. farm families. They were, it was like a line around the block for my ice cream. Really? People would call the house and order it. And, really? Yes. Why didn't you stick with that? I know. I, I, I think I should have just been an entrepreneur. So, okay. So you started babysitting and watching television. And and what was the impulse there? Did and then I couldn't wait to get away, go to a city, you know, sort of. And then uh, I went to college a little bit. I took radio and television Where? arts. Nate, Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. So you got out a bit, like you, like you. Yeah. And your parents were excited about that. They weren't like, well, "Who's going to take care of the cow?" They didn't like that I was go. They want, you know, I think they wanted me to stay. Uh-huh. I mean, I moved to Vancouver. I don't think they wanted me to go that far. Right. You know. And uh, then I uh, I was w- working at an advertising agency. In Vancouver. In Vancouver. Were and you then, going to school? Um, I was done school then. And uh, then I I started freelancing. You know, this a- advertising agency helped me get a lot of uh, sort of freelance work. Doing what? You know, writing like menus or like- Oh, okay. You know, yeah. pamphlets for stuff. Uh-huh. And then, uh, but I was also waitressing still at the time because I needed money. And then some- So you're living in Vancouver with people? Um, Yeah. I, I like Vancouver. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed it too. It was a nice city. And you were like 20? Yeah. T- yeah, I think I was 20. So you're working as an advertising, at an advertising agent, writing menus and pamphlets. And you're waitressing. hmm So where do you- Grab so then it. I got a job as a hostess at a comedy club. Which one? At uh, the Punchline. I don't know if it's still there. Mark Breslin's place? No, it was uh, independent uh-huh. and uh, in Gastown. Uh-huh. And it was it blew my mind. I wanted to write stand-up. So, so I started you writing- You just took the job because you saw a listing- uh, no, I somebody um, at the at the restaurant had said that the, they were looking for someone. They were telling someone else, uh-huh. and I went down there and got the job. I stole it out from under them. And you were like blown away by comedy. That was the first time you saw live comedy. I would seen like, it one other time, but I mean, this do you remember was, who it was? The very first comedian that I ever saw was um, Stanley Ullman. I don't know Is that his name. Is it anyway, Canadian guy? no, I saw it the first time I was in Anaheim. My mom had taken us to Disneyland. Oh, that was nice of her. Yeah. So um in your frocks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then um anyway, he, so he'd been playing poker at our house for years before I realized that was the guy. I did a jo- I said a joke of the first guy I ever saw and they were like that's that's him. Oh, he'd been playing at Mark Cohen? Yeah, Mark Cohen would have that weekly poker game and he was one of the guys. Really? He had a very funny what? Opening joke where he came on stage and he didn't say anything into the mic. He just fixed his coffee and moved his notes around for what seemed like a really long time. And then he goes, well, when you go to work, do you start right away? And the audience <laughs> fell out. <laughs> so you saw Stanley Ullman. Then you get this job as a hostess at the Punchline yes. in Vancouver. In Vancouver. In Gastown. Yeah. And so you're seeing all the Canadian dudes? Yep. Like who? Like Ian Bag, I remember, was one. Craig Campbell was another guy. These huh. guys were, they'd been doing it maybe like, between two and four years, but I thought they were right. Well, amazing. bags are like our age, huh? Bags like our age, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or you're younger. So than he was the one who told younger. me, like, you can't, because I was like trying to sell 
jokes to comedians. I'd been yeah. writing these jokes and yeah. and he was like, you, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you can't. That's not how it works. Are you friends with him still? Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. And uh, very funny. Yeah. He's really amazing at crowd work if you ever Oh, I know. I know. He's a crowd work guy. And then, because I was the hostess, I took the calls a lot. People would call and they'd say, who do you got coming in? And you'd say something like, are they American? And you'd be like, no. And they'd be like, well, when do you got an American guy coming in? <laughs> They they only wanted to see Americans. <laughs> Who was the first American you saw? Like, because now you work with these guys. I mean, now you, you see them. A around. lot of them like remembered me as the hostess. Of course they did. They're on the road. They're like, who's that chick? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have sex with any of them. That's what. You well, mean. no, but I'm sure they tried. Yeah, uh, I I mean, there was a lot of partying, was a lot of drinking. <laughs> really, in comedy, yeah, it's crazy. And then I eventually started doing it. And uh, what, like at the open mic? I went to the Yuck Yucks open mic because if you did stand up, you know, that was the rule. Was yeah, the, yeah. the punchline. You couldn't date one of the comics and you couldn't do stand up. Really? So, yeah. It's probably That's worked out better if, in terms of Yuck Yucks being some sort of, you know, strange monopoly of the entire Canadian landscape <laughs> yes. to, to get started there. I got started there. So you start doing open mics and what did you do? Then I won a contest that was like uh, funniest new comic in Canada. I won the uh-huh. whole thing. Uh-huh. Really early in like how many years in? Maybe like six times <laughs> doing it. What? Yeah, no, not I hadn't done it a lot for sure. Six times. I, in? I, well, I definitely once the contest. The reason I went into the contest was so I could get more stage time. Uh huh. You know, to and go you started on touring. And then after that, I moved to Toronto. And what was that name of that place? The Laugh Resort. Yes, in Toronto. But I didn't. I worked for Yuck Yucks. So right, of course, you're in. Yeah. You're part of the studio. I was part system. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, and I, then did you meet a lot of those other dudes? The, uh, the, uh, yep, met them all. The crazy yuck yuck comics. Yes. So then I called Caroline's in New York. In New York and asked who books the show. Louis Veranda. Hi, 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 Bonnie. I, I got him on the phone and he, um, I was like, I'm a comedian. I want to do your show. Uh huh. And he was like, What do you mean? What are you talking about? And, yeah. Uh, I don't know why he entertained this, but he said, Okay, I have workmen in my office that are fixing the ceiling. If you could make them laugh, I'll put you on the show. So I had my notebook out and I, you walked in or this was on the phone? This was on the phone. So he put you on From, speaker. Yes. That was your audition. That was my audition. I got the show. Well, he asked me if I was cute. Was it, oh, for the TV show? Yes. Cal Rowling's Comedy yes. Hour. Yes. And it, one of the first questions, I think before I even did the stand-up, he was like, are you cute? So he puts you on speaker and what did you, what did you do? I just did my jokes that I had in my notebook. I yeah. didn't think it was weird. I honestly, th- when I called, that's what I thought might happen. I didn't think like I was that like, you'd have to do your jokes on the phone. Yeah, was there no videotapes then? What? <laughs> I, I don't. Yes, there was, but I just I was naive. I didn't know. Did you hear yourself getting laughs from the workmen? Yes, and I started doing a little bit of crowd work with the, uh, <laughs> the workmen. That's the best audition story and, I ever heard. Uh, then I went and did the show and bombed really bad. It was not easy room. I don't think Caroline's that one. The one none, none of them were like Caroline's in Times Square. It gets so huge. Well, that's the thing. Unless it's filled, it's hard. Yeah. But then they, eventually they built that curtain so right. like they could close off half I the know. room to make you feel less shitty. Well, <laughs> like it makes it, you feel more shitty. It does. But You're like, like but that least... curtain's coming closed. Because <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. there's like, there's all the sound. different tiers. <laughs> yes. And then they leave a little open for four comics or five comics <laughs> yes. to sit at that one table so they could look through the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember. I never played it that much. I never got along with that guy. But, um, Surprise. So that was, you moved to New York. And then after I moved that? to New York, yeah. Because it went so well? Well, Jeff Sussman sort of convinced. So I didn't know Jeff Sussman, and um, he had written me a letter. Yeah. 
uh, he'd you know I, after I won uh, best comic in Canada, he knew about it somehow, and he'd seen a picture of me. So uh-huh. uh, he asked me if he could manage me, but I just ignored it because I don't I didn't know what a manager was or anything. And so then when uh, Louis Ferranda said, "Who's your manager?" Yeah. I just said Jeff Sussman. Yeah. I'd had a letter from him. Yeah. And then I called Jeff Sussman and I said, I told him I was your manager. And he goes, because I am. Really? <laughs> yes. He was excited. So then he convinced me to, I stayed. Are you hit- still with him? No, no. Jeff Sussman, uh, for people listening, is a uh, uh, New York-based manager, I think famous for, uh, I think he still represents Kevin James and Joe Rogan. Yep. Who else? Pretty That's sure. enough. Yeah, <laughs> he's it. living large. He's doing well. Fine. That's I always had respect, even though like you know him and I were not pals or anything, but I knew him, and I was probably a dick to him. But those guys that stayed on their own and you know and, and bet on a couple lucky horses mm-hmm. and made a life, I, I have respect for those guys. But he had a good eye. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Who else would? Do you remember who else he had? I can't remember. I just know Brian Fraser. Do you remember him? Sure. He was. One what of his would clients. you do if I sang out a key yeah. and then he'd spit a key out? But I, yeah, I, I interviewed. <laughs> Look at my wingspan. Yeah, Didn't yeah. He? It was, it was funny. Yeah, I interviewed Brian. He started with me actually in yeah. Boston. He's here. He writes things. He did a one man show about anxiety. He wrote some books. Yeah, yeah, some books. He always so he had Frazier. Oh, and, Ted Alexandro. Oh yeah, I wonder if he's still with him. I don't think so. All right, so so now you're rolling. You've, you're you're in New York. You got a manager, and then I met you right after that. Right, and then you just started a long string of fucking Jews. Yes, and then <laughs> Jew comedians, please. I'm sorry, Jew comedians. It's a smaller even. <laughs> yeah, was it because Subsection. you was it because you just never experienced Jews before? Well, you know, it? I've always liked Jews because uh, Jewish men, in my experience, are verbal, mm-hmm. which I like. I like yeah. having that exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was that was part of. It. I was like the you they know, never shut up. Yes, They're needy I love and verbal. <laughs> you know, who wants to cuddle? I yeah. don't. You just want to talk. Yeah. And, 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 or even and just listen. It, in Rich's case, I just listen. Yeah. And, <laughs> and help them feel better about themselves. That's what yes, you're about. Yes. Listening to Jewish men talk and help them feel better about themselves. <laughs> I'm used to struggle. So I feel like we come together on that. <laughs> but how long was it like? Because you did, like, we were all sort of, you know, did those basic cable shows and make those rounds. I imagine you were auditioning. But. What was your experience on the road? Were you how long did it take? Were you headlining? When did where well? Did it, I did the road in Canada, but I I didn't I as hardly, a middle. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, but I hardly and I think back. What was I doing? How was I doing? Yeah. Half uh-huh. an hour. I have no <laughs> idea what that. Yeah. I didn't hardly ever go on the road. Once I got to New York. Yeah. Um, it was you know city clubs, and then I and then I went to L.A. I got a deal right away, and then I went to L.A. Oh, you got one of those $250,000. One $175,000. $175,000 development deal. Yeah. What was your agent, Ruth Ann Secunda? Who, no, who is your agent? that's so funny. That, that, everyone wanted Ruth Ann Secunda. <laughs> Ruth Ann will get you that quarter million yes. dollar deal. No, it was Jeff Sussman got me that. Oh, you didn't have an agent? I did Uh-oh. after the deal. I got right. William Morris. Which one? Who was it? James Dixon. Dixon! In August, Mike August. Mike August! Yeah. Dixon is another one of those independent guys now who I'm very impressed with and who like I, I insulted somehow, but he's all right. He was always he's a character, Dixon. I loved him. Yeah, he's great. I loved he, him. His roster is John Stewart, Colbert, Kimmel, and uh and Corolla. Corolla. Yeah. But Dixon just had these guys. Yeah, he was he's such a, he like, a guy's him. guy though, too. He loved hanging out with them and Yeah, he was a little character. He's almost like an old Hollywood style character. Yes, yeah. But he's on his own now. He just he, yeah. he just has Kimmel and Colbert and John Stewart. And that's what else he's right. done. He's good. Right, right. And then what happened after all that? You got your and agents, then, you got your deal. Yeah. Did that, you you did a pilot, right? 
Um, I did a couple of TV shows yeah. that actually made it on the air and a couple that didn't. And uh, then it just got worse and worse, you know. <laughs> it just went downhill. No, I really just, I did want to be a writer and everybody would talk me out of it all the uh-huh. time. But I ended up uh, supporting myself by you know, all these writing gigs that I had. Like for what? I mean, game shows and... Uh, you were one of those, like, yeah, those those people that just, they pulled in. Yeah. Yeah. I just always knew somebody that was writing on uh-huh. something that would, uh, are you available? Yes. Well, you did, you did Tough Crowd too, right? Yeah, a bit? I did Tough Crowd a couple of times. Yeah. Like five times or something. And did you, like, did you write for any shows that, like, stayed on the air kind of thing? Like No, I, well, I wrote for two years. It was probably my longest uh, thing was uh, for um, Spy TV that, Hidden Camera Show, which I loved working on that show. So was writing better for you than stand-up? I mean, did you prefer it? Do you like doing well, stand-up? Well, I do. I, well, I have such a weird relationship with stand-up because I am not as good as I want to be and it frustrates me. Uh-huh. It really... I can't, I can't, you know, you know, it's like one day you think, I've got it. I yeah. know what I'm doing now. And then yeah. the next time it's like it doesn't... I don't know. I, I, I've well, never come to me- terms with it. I've never been able to just like... Well, the thing is, is weird is that, you, you, you know, I think that if you have the mindset where I don't do anything else, like at some point you just cross over into this thing where you're like, that I'm just, I'm a comic and that's, you know, I'm going to go up no matter what and just fucking deal with it. Uh, you know, it becomes different, but it seems like, you know, you, you had success with other things too. Well, I have a lot of shame around stand up. Like I'm embarrassed. I don't want people I know to come see me. Still? Yes. <laughs> Even more so now because I'm a mom and neighbors and, you know, I don't want my people that like, you know, that I stand outside and wait for uh, the bus to come with the kids and we small talk. What is it about your stand up? Well, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. I just think think they won't like it. I just think they won't like it. Do you think it represents you honestly? Is it that you're like, oh, that joke's old or that? Well, I think it does represent me honestly, but I think my real life doesn't represent me honestly. Like I pretend I'm somebody else in my real life. Like, Uh do you know what I mean? It's almost like. I'm like a closeted gay man, you know, who's married. You know what I mean? Like who's living a suburban yes, life? Yes, like your down low is like doing a set at the comic strip. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like I didn't when I out. moved to to suburban New Jersey. Yeah. I didn't tell anyone that I was a comedian for years. No, what did knew. you tell them? I, you know, just would avoid that. But when did you do Ask Comic Standing? I mean, at some point they knew. Was no, that- no, because I'm Bonnie Voss there. Nobody. I don't know. Nobody ever asked. Nobody you, ever said anything. Nobody recognized you're me. You're Bonnie Voss in New Jersey. Yes. Like I have a separate Facebook. I have separate, you know what I mean? It's There's like, a Bonnie McFarlane Facebook and a Bonnie Voss Facebook? Yeah. So the Bonnie Voss people, do, you know, that's like Pictures people from of your my kids. gym and people from, you know, my kids, uh, friends' moms. So you're living a double life. I'm living a fully double life. Yes. And so occasionally it'll. And this is all because of shame and insecurity. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because I think of like too dirty or okay. Uh, I did a show at the Village Underground recently, yeah. and when I was, uh, and it went really well. Like it couldn't have been better. Yeah. And there was my neighbor was in the audience. She came up. She goes, "You never tell me where you have set." So I came, you know, and I was uh, like in shock. I was reeling. Uh-huh. I couldn't handle it. Like you just it. been caught with the- yes, like I. <laughs> Like doing something horrible. I'm 69ing my, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yes, and then uh, all I could think about that night was like how dirty, like the dirty jokes that I'd done. Like is she, you know, I think I said I sucked a thousand cocks in that set. You know, Look, I'm something. sure she got a kick out of it. I, I maybe I don't know. She never said. 
Well, no, but now do you look at her going like, oh, she knows. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. I'm like, can you not tell everyone else in the neighborhood? <laughs> that's uh, that's rough. I know. It's like stupid. What, what do you track this? Well, you, your book's called You're Better Than Me. Yeah. So you have this fundamental shame thing. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> About? About the way I grew up. It's all me trying to spin it out of like, you know. Like, for these people, they can know this. For these people, they can know that. But this is the memoir, which, you know, where, you know, you talk about... Yeah, it all comes out because... Cutting chickens' heads off and fucking Jewish men. Right. Comedians. Yes, but that's the other thing is, like, now I'm in another situation where, you know, they found out I wrote a book and they want to read the book and I don't want them to read the book. (laughs) But you've had such a more... I don't want anyone to read the book. I want them to buy the book. You just don't want your neighbors to read it. That's all you want. I mean, you'd like, but, 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 but don't you think they'd be like, wow, what a life as opposed to like, what a pig. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Come on. I don't know. I maybe, I don't know. I, I know it sounds crazy. What was he? What was he? Well, what do you want to do? Because Rich does that. Rich has none of that. Rich is like the exact opposite. He's Rich Voss no matter what situation he's in. Rich Voss wants more people to yeah, know. Yeah, he could not. Like, <laughs> that, like, I remember doing a show in um, Vegas once and they had my face on a billboard and I was humiliated. I was horrified that people were going to see that billboard. <laughs> because you don't think, well, this is just primarily because you don't think you're good enough. Yes. As a comic. Yes, yes. And that you're not going to live I'm gonna up to- I'm going to be, like I always think, I'm gonna, like I've never made a CD because I think I'm going to be a little bit better soon. And then I'll I understand, unleash I myself that. to the world. I understand that. I, I, you know, like some people just aren't like that, but like there is this idea where it's like, I could, you know, I wish I had a better tag. You know, that yes. idea, you know, like that's a good idea, but I don't think it's, jo- it gets a laugh, but it's not a full joke. Or you, you do, you put something, you, you know, you do something on TV and then you think of a better- tag later and you're like oh yeah i'm pa- no, i've done on that. there yeah but but no one's paying attention Bonnie. i know i know that's that's the real truth of it is that well that yeah that's the thing is like the really pressure the pressure is only on you know when people have expectations and are familiar with you i mean like for me to get successful doing this thing you know after doing you know spending 20 years of my life trying to be the best comic in the world and then you know getting you know popular because I'm interviewing people it was sort of a tough pill to swallow because it made me it reopened all that sort of like weird insecurity of like maybe I'm not a good enough comic you know maybe you know that wasn't yeah you know, and then eventually you just accept it like well I'm pretty good I'm about as good as you know I can be right now and there are some people that enjoy it and that's that I you know I've never been better and I always think that I was pretty good but it, I was not you know I, I was alienating that's what I am, I feel like. I don't think you are. Maybe m- maybe you have that thing that I had then, which is sort of like, you know, I don't like me, so why would they? I will try to defy them to not like yes. me. Yes, I have that lots of times. I go <laughs> like, on stage just, with the ads, you're like, fine, I won't like you either. Exactly. Well, that's that's <laughs> yeah. fixable. What the fuck well, is that? I have no idea, but oh. I think, uh, time's I think up. that means I think I means I had a breakthrough. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you didn't go with time's up. I'm sorry. I'm glad you had a breakthrough. Or you're about to. Don't you think um, after all these years that that timing is everything really did turn out to be true? Definitely. Like, I fought that for so long. I was like, it's not everything. It's well, just one of the things. Well, there's a lot to it, but no, but I think I've seen people that, that were completely socially awkward and, and had no timing in life at all, who were great joke writers, learn their timing. Yeah. Like, I don't- It I makes don't, a huge- uh, like, I, don't I, think, think, I don't think it's always natural, is what I'm right, saying. Right, I think it, it definitely can be learned, 
as you figure out who you are on stage. Right. But some people have a very pleasing timing. Oh, yeah. No, some people, like especially Jews. <laughs> They're good at their timing. They're very good at the timing. <laughs> you know, like there's a quickness. Yeah. There's a, some people like, because you seem very enamored with crowd work and that is all timing. Like you have to be quick witted, but for crowd work to really work. Well, sometimes you don't want to say the thing you think of, you know, your instinct is to say it as fast as you can, but really let it sit there for a second. Uh huh. It's it's time, like, that's where you really see, you know, guys with great timing and quick wits is with crowd work. Right. And there's only a few guys that do it great, you know, and it's really something to watch. Yeah. I mean, I know how to do it, certainly. But if you're a really good crowd work guy and you do that in your regular set, you've got to figure out how to pace your written material because it's never going to balance out. It's hard to go back. Yeah. So you, either you save it. But like a lot of people, I imagine it's like, this isn't going well. What are you doing? Where are you from? You know, like. Well, that's like, how I do it. Because I, I, you know, when I'm on the road, I, you know, have to save myself a lot of times. Like, you know, they, they prefer the crowd work from me than my jokes a lot of times. So. Well, that's because you can do it and you've got, if you're good at it, it's, it's a, it's a crutch. Yeah. I, I mean, well, the thing about crowd work though, I think is that, um, I don't think people realize, um, that it's like a developed skill. Oh no. There's some guys who can't do it. Louie yeah. won't do it. He won't. Mm-mm. Ha ha. When was the last time you <laughs> saw him do Like he used to actually be sort of like, I just, I don't. It's like he doesn't want to deal with it. Right, right. You know? Well, that's the thing, though, is that there's comics that will just do what they do, regardless right. of they don't care. And I've always been a person that, like, I'll I'll just cave in. I'll just start talking about my vagina if I have to. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'll have, I'll just, I just got to <laughs> s- survive up there somehow. What do you need, you know? my pussy? Yeah, Here we go. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always... I don't. I was never. I. I never could quite be like because ev- me even going like. All right, well, let me give you what you want. I w- it was wrong. Yes. You know, like, what you- <laughs> well, that's what I always think about comedians that are so good at like being relatable. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I, I could never do. No, people would no. stand up and be like, "No, we don't do that." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we don't want to hear about your your masturbation thing for an hour. It's not relatable. <laughs> so I, I never had that. I never. I never could fake a regular life. Well, you know what I always admired about you is that you could take teeny tiny little things yeah. and make them into stand-up. Yeah, big, big problems. Yes. <laughs> Break them open. But that's like a really hard thing to do. Well, not if you Especially lots of times of you're time talking here. about the inside of your brain. That, well, that's, yeah, that's where I live a lot of times. That's like a hard mm-hmm. thing to do. That's my home. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so, well, we got to get you over this hump. So what do you, what do you want to, when did you have that baby? How old is that baby? The eight. Voss baby? Eight. The Voss monster is eight? I'm pretty sure she's eight. Yeah? And she's a great kid? She's, she's, yes, incredible. Wow. She's an incredible kid. So what was that? Was that on purpose and everything? Yeah, we did it in the front. Uh, <laughs> we said, you know what? Let's try it this way. Um, she, no, she, you know, I wanted, that was one of the things, you know, when, um, we knew we were going to get married. I was like, well, I got to have a kid. And um, he was okay with that. So He's got an older one. He's got two older daughters. And he told me everybody gets along, you and his ex-wife. We and all his... get along. That's great. Yes. I mean, his ex-wife was married and had a, a maybe the, the baby was like two when uh-huh. I came into the, they wanted, they were happy to get rid of Rich. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They were right. like, please take him Yeah, off. yeah, yeah. He was hanging out at family dinners and whatnot. <laughs> so... Um, Yes, I was like a welcome. Uh huh. Yeah, because he lives just you know we they've moved now his uh, ex wife and her new husband, but we used to live like just a mile from them. Oh, 
So. Yeah, so everyone was. Well, even when I had the baby, I took—I didn't know who to show the baby to, so I took it over. <laughs> took it. That's yeah. how good of a parent I am. I took this thing over yeah. there, and I said, yeah. "Look what I did." Yeah, and uh, she would come and help me with, you know, she, oh. she'd had three kids at that point, four kids or something. So two of his. Yeah, so she, so knows, she came she over knew and helped me. Against- she knew, yeah, <laughs> she gave me a little. Did she teach you about him? She, I remember uh, we started to get along really early on yeah. because she uh, t- she said, if I'd known you, I like you, so I would have told you what a horrible person he is. <laughs> I would have warned you. Uh, but he got better, I imagine. Well, you know, everyone bonds over um, their mutual distaste for Rich. It's like a fun thing. It's like sports. Well, that's know? a weird thing about his presence in the, in the New York comedy world and comedy in general is that, you know, he... He's he he's he, there's a he, he's a very sweet guy and at the core of it all he's very sensitive but he's this weird mixture of like overly sensitive and very defensive yes. which I guess is normal but like he lets his sense like you can really you know get a good shot in with him and then like you know at him yeah. you can bust his balls and it, it, sometimes it, like it'll take him a few seconds to regroup around it because he's like uh, you know I don't know what it is about him but the, there's a humility to it that's very appealing yeah well. People are always like, you know, making fun of him that I'm going to leave him or whatever. But the truth is, is that, you know, he, out of all his friends, you know, he, he's the only one that like married someone as challenging as me. Like, you got to give him credit. Yeah. You know, I'm, but also, I'm like, not the he, easiest person in the world to be married to. You know, he stepped up. It's like, I'll take it on. But but also like what I learned about him is that like, you know, in all his insecurity and his insanity or whatever he is like you know and i you know i remember first seeing him when i was still in boston you know and he had like this weird ponytail and it's like greasy like his yeah all the yeah okay but can i tell you i saw a video of that him doing a show like that and it was so sexy because there is something really sexy about a man who doesn't no, like he doesn't realize that it, that is more confident than his looks. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He was, you couldn't tell if he was Italian or not at that time. You know, like it was, but you know, he's a stand up guy, you know, it seems like he's come through a lot and, and sort of taken responsibility for himself. He's very responsible. Yeah. And that's not bad. Not bad. And you know, I mean, you know, there's trade offs. Mm-hmm. That's that's but on now, the plus side. But now, but you don't you don't feel compelled. He wrote this book. You don't feel compelled to do a one person show about this no. life. No. So wait. So wait. I mean, I got paid to do a book, so I had to write a book. So I wrote the book, and uh, I, you know, hopefully it's good, and uh, people like it. But I, um, I still, I'm. You know, people are like, oh, now you're going to talk about it in your act and stuff. I, I, I'm not really that kind of biographical autobiographical comedian I don't but do you even like do you want to work as a comic I would love to get good no I would love to to it's been 20 years I know I I you know it's a hard thing isn't it it's like golf you never can master it but I want to put an hour special yeah I want to do the hour special and then either one of two things will happen I'll just hang it up or it'll get easier for me like I'll get my own audience to come out I know, but but you you, you know you got to be stopping so hard on yourself. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing is that I wish that I could just not care. Well, it's not a matter of not caring; it's like giving yourself a break, right? You right. know, and it's like, and if you don't think a joke is working right, you live with a fucking comic who's a genius, right? Yes. So, like, tag it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rich, I need a tag. Yeah. 
How often does that happen? No, it doesn't. Huh. Well, he doesn't, uh, you know, Rich is a sort of one-sided in that department. Well, like, we can he... talk about his act for a long time. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> like, like I'll watch his set. But I enjoy doing that, too. Like, I like breaking down comedy. I like talking about comedy and figuring it out. And so I'll watch his set, and then on the way home, we'll talk about his set. And, yeah, and then you when know, you're going to went. bed. You'll... And then I'll be like, what about mine? He was like, it's fine. But that's, that's What if you he know. paid him as a writer? <laughs> For his time, yes, yeah, to sit down. It's hard. That's a. It's it's really hard to get involved with each other's act. But what was your experience with that last comic standing business? Horrible. Yeah, no, I didn't enjoy it. I just, I'm not that. That's not a good thing a for me. For some comedians, thing. it's great. I was really bad at doing the interviews. Yeah, I wanted to be funny in the interviews, and they just want you to like, uh-huh. you know, yeah, to play it up to whatever, and they took stuff out of context, and you know, yeah. whatever. But you like being a mom. I love being a mom. And you're now like at some point your neighbors are going to, they must know what you do. They know, they do know now that, I mean, they used to always introduce me. They'd say, um, it's Rich Voss's wife. This is, do you know who this is? This is Rich Voss's wife. Uh-huh. Um, and now they say, now they sometimes will say I'm a comedian. So I'm getting there slowly. I just say it, it bothers me that, uh, that you're, you're hobbled by this, um, uh, uh insecurity, this, this, uh, self flagellating insecurity. And it, well, it like it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for you. The book is funny, and uh, my wife hates me. Is the podcast is that weekly? Yep. How's it going? It's fine. <laughs> Are you active with your kids' school? No, okay. I, I don't do that stuff. Well, what do you do? What are you doing? What do you mean? Will you sit at home. I just wrote a book. Is that not, is that not good enough for you? Oh, you wrote the, it's been I do stand up a lot. Okay. I write a lot. I have writing Where jobs. Where do you work at the cellar mostly? Um, no, mostly at the stand. Okay. Yeah. So people can see you at the stand? Yeah. I've always liked your comedy. I think you're funny. Thank you. It's and it was quite nice. an endorsement. What are you talking about? <laughs> are you being sarcastic? Yes. Why? Yes. <laughs> you, I, well, I have you, a hard time taking compliments. So thank you. Fine. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. That's it. That's it. That's all. Uh, Isn't Bonnie great? Isn't she great? I want her to be more confident. God damn it. So, uh, yeah, go get her book. Go watch her movie. Go uh, listen to her and Rich on their podcast. Also, as I said, the new WTF mugs are available from Brian Jones today. They go on sale at 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Go to brianrjones.com. Go to wtfpod.com. Uh, on Thursday, I got Dweezil Zappa coming in. Uh, yes, I did date his sister. And yes, it was a great talk. Um, what else? Hal.fm for the archives. I don't know if you guys know this, but no ads in the archives, people. You can go to wtfpod.com for the links to that. Also watch my uh, special more later on Hulu and Amazon. Um, Look, I try to tune my guitar. I do tune my guitar before I do this.
Boomer lives.